Why don't you come and find a seat? A very warm welcome to you if you are visiting or you're here for the very first time. It's lovely to see you. And my name is Kate Woodward, and I'm married to the returned Neil Woodward, who's just got back from India and Nepal, and you'll hear more about that next week. Have I got my little slide that goes up? A couple of weeks ago, we began a series looking at the power of the prophetic. And the first week, we looked at the power of the prophetic to challenge our thinking. And last week, we looked at the power of the prophetic to change our name. And this week, I want to look at the power of the prophetic to transform our communities. And if we're going to see our communities transformed, and if we're going to see the lives of our friends and neighbors changed by God, if we're going to see the world in which we live restored as God intended, what kind of profound prophetic encounter do we need? What kind of prophetic revelation will we need to have for such a transformation to become a reality? Well, this morning we're going to take a look at the life of one individual who had such a prophetic encounter and the impact he had not only on the call of God on his life, but on the whole of society in which he lived. So if you've got a Bible, please turn with me to Isaiah 6. And one of the reasons we're going to look at Isaiah is because he's just a very ordinary person who had this very extraordinary encounter with God. Now, we don't know much about Isaiah. We don't know if he was married or had kids. But what we do know about him is that his is the story of an ordinary person and an ordinary community who were sent out into the darkness of the world that they might bring God's transformation. And as you read through the whole of Isaiah, you see these ordinary people being taken into cities and places that are unfamiliar to them, but their purpose of going to those cities is so that those cities and those places might thrive. They're being sent out into the wilderness, but the purpose is so that they might see the wilderness spring up with streams of life. And so this book tells the story of a man and of a people who have this powerful prophetic encounter with God and are called to transform their communities and change their culture. And there is something in here that really matters for us. It matters for me. It matters for us as a church because one of the things we've been talking about for years in this church is that this is our calling. It's what we believe as a Christian community. We believe that God loves the world and that because God loves the world, he mourns whatever and wherever he sees it's broken. And because God mourns wherever this world is broken, he wants to bring the light of the world to those places and has in fact done that through Jesus. And because God wants to bring healing and restoration and renewal 
to those places of brokenness and despair, God has raised up a people called the church, whose calling is to bear witness to God's transforming power in our lives. And that's what we're doing. We're here because we know that somehow, in the midst of all our confusion and brokenness, we're supposed to bring light to our neighbors. We're here because we know that somehow our calling is to follow God into the world. Our calling is to get out and see our cities and our communities transformed. And that's a key part of our vision for this church. We've been called by God to be a church who loves and serves Jesus, who loves and serves one another, and who loves and serves those around us. We've been called by God to be a church, yes, that gathers together on Sundays in central celebration, and to be a church that scatters for the rest of the week in our local communities and places of work and local mission. And so how on earth do we do that? What does it mean? How do we, as a community of faith, actually do that? How do we follow Jesus into the places that are broken and filled with despair to take his hope and transforming power? This morning, we're going to take a look at how we hear God's call to go and be a prophetic voice of hope and transformation to the places that God sends us. So, let's take a look at Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above him was seraphim, each with six wings, With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. One of the many, many things I love about this church is seeing the amazing things that so many of you are doing to bringing God's transforming power to the lives around you, to people around you. Whether it's through the wonderful stories we hear coming from the job club or from those in, in need at the food bank or ministering to people through Zozo or serving the children in Vineyard Kids 
or ministering to parents-to-be through Wattpram. The list goes on. And why are any of you doing these things? Why do any of you of us do the things that we have found ourselves doing? It's because something has happened to us. Something wonderful. Something remarkable that has changed us and the way we live our lives forever. We've all encountered the wonderful person of Jesus. And having been called into a new life with God, we've also, through God, been called into a new life in the world. So we can't just do normal anymore. We can't just sit around and do nothing. Something has happened to us. And we have this new sense of purpose, God's calling on our lives. Now, we may not always understand this calling, but we know that we have it. And it's what compels us, so many of you, to do the things you do, whether you're a student or working in the city or working in the medical profession or raising a family or starting and running a business or opening up your homes. It's an amazing thing to see. This profound sense of gratitude that you all have that compels you to respond to the call of God on your lives. But what does it mean to be called? I don't know about you, but I've struggled with this over the years. What does it mean to be called? And what is the nature of this calling? These are questions I have had. These are questions many of you will have had. These are questions many of you have even now. These are questions we have as a church. What does it mean to be called? And I think this passage can really, really help us. And as I said, we don't know a lot about Isaiah. But we, what we do know is, just like me, just like you, he found himself transformed by a prophetic call. And what I want to do is talk about this call and how it becomes a prophetic voice that the Lord uses to transform our cities and our communities. And then next week, our lovely Neil is going to carry on with this, following on from the things that he's seen and done the last few weeks in India and Nepal over the past week or so. So let me pray. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Brood over us, Lord. Brood over us, Lord. Walk amongst us right now. Let us have ears to hear what you're saying to us. Let us have eyes to see your glory, Lord. Lord, I pray for every single person here for a fresh revelation of you that encounter with you that is so priceless and that transforms us. Amen. So, if we're going to hear this call, we first have to be captivated by the vision of glory. Captivated by a vision of glory. And that's the first thing that we see here in this passage. It begins not with ourselves. It begins with a vision of something outside ourselves, something much greater, something much more beautiful, something much more important. 
then we get almost overcome by this encounter with something much more glorious. And do you know, when you read the Bible, what that is? Do you know what that glorious, wonderful something is? It's God. And the whole book of Isaiah is calling us to God. As one writer puts it, the whole book is calling us to the one who is the center of reality, to the one whose glory is our light, to the one whose beauty is our longing, and to the one whose strength is our hope, and to the one whose love is our rest and our joy. The entire book of Isaiah is saying to us, God is real, God is powerful, and God is glorious. And what he's trying to do is to open our eyes to this amazing vision of the glory of God. And the reason he does that is because it first happened to him. Have a look at verse 1 to 4. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. There it is. This is how Isaiah's calling and life's work begins with a vision of the Lord. And as he describes God, he says, the authority of God, the king who is the rightful king of all, the, all these things, this one we long for in our world that's so crazy and out of control, he's sitting on a throne. The Lord is sitting on a throne, high and exalted. And there's something different about him. He's different to us. He's transcendent. There's something great and glorious about him. This beauty that we seek, the things we long for, the things our hearts yearn for, are all found in him. And he's not just authoritative, transcendent God. He's perfect. Do you see what the angels say about him? Holy, holy, holy. He is pure. He is spotless. He is clear. He is beautiful. And everything we long for is found in him. And not only that, he is satisfying. He fills the temple with smoke. His glory fills the earth. God is the one who fills us. God is the one who satisfies all the longings that we have. And what's amazing about all this is this is not some random story. This is how mission begins. This is exactly how every call of God on our lives begin, with a vision of God as the only one who's authoritative, transcendent, perfect, and all-satisfying. This delightful, captivating vision of God as the one for whom the world longs. And this is just isn't about Isaiah. This is about how we are called. This is the essence of the Christian mission. Over and over again, God's people's, God's people's lives are changed. Not just because they feel bad about the poor. Not just because they want to change their city. Our lives are changed because we saw a captivating vision of God's glory. And that's what drives our mission and you see this in the New Testament when you see God revealing himself, not as, a transcendent, not as transcendent on a throne, but coming down in the person of Jesus to dwell amongst us. 
in the opening lines of the Gospel of John, he writes of his own calling to follow Jesus. And what does he say? The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. Just like Isaiah saw the glory of God, we too have seen it. This time we've seen it in the person of Jesus. We've seen the glory and have been completely captivated by it. And now our lives are completely different because of it. Christian mission begins not with a desire to be part of something big, not with a burden of the world, not even with a concern for other people, although all of those things are, of course, incredibly important. It begins with the vision of the glory of God. It begins with this utter conviction that all of the longing that we have, that our neighbors have for restored authority, for renewed transcendence, for perfect beauty, and for utter fulfillment. Those things are only found in God. That's the heart of Christian mission. We, we begin being captivated by a vision of God's glory. But it's not just about getting a vision of God's glory. Because then that on its own makes dreamers of us all. We also need to be broken by the desperation of need. And what that means is that we don't just see something glorious and then jump into action. What that means is that having had this revelation of God's glory, we are then driven inward by it. We are then driven downward by it. And we have the crisis of desperation that breaks us. And this is the one of the key themes that comes out when you read the whole of Isaiah. Sometimes you are reading it and it's like, oh gosh, I love this. This is so encouraging. And then other times you're reading and you get to a passage and we say to ourselves, why is this even here? This is so depressing. And why does Isaiah keep talking about woe? Why does he talk about lament? Why? Because it is central to the vision. Seeing something as glorious and as beautiful as God, when we look at ourselves, when we look at the world in which we live and we see such discontent between the two that creates a crisis in our hearts and it's that crisis that breaks us. And that's what we've been called to. Because when we're called by God, when we're called to a brokenheartedness, this is the one of the themes of Isaiah. And it happens to Isaiah in this passage in verse 1 to 4 to you see this glorious thing. You see the Lord. You have this incredible encounter, that, this life-changing moment. And most of us would be, wow, that's awesome. We want more of that. But Isaiah doesn't see it like that. What Isaiah says, oh my, I shouldn't have seen that. What Isaiah says is, I'm completely wrecked by what I've seen and what I have. I'm undone. He says, woe is me. And woe is the expression of woe is deep, deep sorrow. It's like he can't handle what he's just seen. It's like ground swallow me up. Isaiah sees the Lord. And what he says is, I'm lost. I'm undone in utter, in utter despair. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. 
broken by the desperation of his own need. And what he's saying is that when he sees this incredible vision of God's glory, he's absolutely broken by it. Isaiah sees the Lord and his heart breaks. And his heart breaks because here he is, gazing upon all this beauty and holiness and perfection and glory. And he knows that he's so far from it. He sees himself and all his own ambition and deceit and sinfulness in such a million miles away from what he sees in God. But not only does he see himself and the condition of his own heart, he also sees the need of those around him. And what does he say? He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. I'm a mess, and everyone else is too. And we all live together in this broken and desperate world. We're all wrecked. We're all lost. And this is where mission begins. You see the glory of God, and you think, I'm not at all part of that. I'm so far away from what God is like. I'm not living this out. And all of it is a proper response to having seen the king. And this is so important. We've got to get an understanding of what it is God's calling us to. Not only do we need to get a vision of God's glory, we also need to allow that revelation to show each of us the true condition of our own hearts and the true condition of the world in which we live. And we need to allow God in all his goodness and mercy to break our hearts. Christians are people who are brokenhearted over our own brokenness and that brokenness of the world around us. And we can never escape it. We see this most clearly when we look at Jesus and when he calls his disciples to him for the first time. After they've had this miraculous, miraculous catch of fish and Jesus says, I want you to come. Come and follow me. And do you know what Peter says? He gets down on his knees and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. And this is what happens when we see true glory. We when we properly encounter the true glory of God and in and through the wonderful person of Jesus, our hearts break. And we say, I can't. I'm not worthy. I'm too broken for this. Lord, you need to leave me. And these words, this heart attitude, I'm telling, is telling us that being called by God isn't just a case of getting a glorious vision of God's glory. It's also being broken by the crisis of need, our need, and the need of the world. And then there's this third and final thing. The Christian mission that Isaiah talks about is compelled by the voice of love. If we just have a vision of God's glory and a crisis of our own brokenness, and we can easily just end up getting angry and stressed out. And the reason we get to that place is because we miss that this whole thing is actually compelled by the incredible voice of love. Because when you see the need, 
when you see the true state of our own hearts and when we see the actual condition of so much of the world around us, we get overwhelmed. It's all too much. And we're like, what can be done? What can be done? What can sort this mess out? Paul says it like this. Who can save me from all this? And do you know what the answer is? Love. Love can sort it out. Love can save us. And it's God's love can. And this is a central theme to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. There's like these three strands that weave together the glory of God, the need of the world, and love. And this love is first spoken to Isaiah. Have a look at verse 6. Verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Let's just pause for a moment. If you're standing before God in all his glory and all his majesty, in the very throne room of heaven, and the whole place is filled with smoke, and the doorposts are shaking, and you've just recognized that you're unclean, that you're a mess, that you're sinful, that your heart is actually dark, and an angel picks up fire from the altar and starts flying towards you. What do you think is about to happen? Isaiah has no idea what's about to happen. He'd be forgiven for thinking that this angel flying towards him is about to give him what he deserves. I'm undone. Yes, you're right. The angel's going to the altar, and he's picking up fire. And now he's flying right at you with fire, with all his six wings beating. What's happening? Isaiah expecting judgment. He's expecting judgment. Judgment of God. He's expecting to be incinerated by his own sin. But what happens? The angel comes to him and stops and touches him in the very place where he is most ashamed. It was love, not judgment, that answered Isaiah. I don't know what you would imagine God would say to you at that place where you feel most vulnerable, most ashamed. But this God in his love says in verse 7, with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It was love, not judgment, that Isaiah, that answered Isaiah. And what we see here is how God's love pursues us. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. This is God in pursuit of his people because he loves us. What we see here is how God's love sacrifices for us with a, coal, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. What's happening here is, this is the place where the sacrifice for sin is made. He's saying, your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. I'm going to take this coal from the altar, the very place of redemption, and I'm going to take away your greatest shame, your darkest guilt, your deepest dishonor, and that's the place God goes to with his love. Just think about that. Just think about the part of your life that you hate about yourself so much that you've convinced that God hates too. And that's the place he goes to first, not in judgment, 
not in judgment. Not in judgment, but in love. He goes, comes to us in love. And then what we see here is how God's love frees us. Your guilt is taken away because your sin is atoned for. And what he's saying is, it's over. It's done. It is finished. And you've got this whole reversal of Isaiah. Woe is me, I'm undone. Because what the angel is saying to him is, no, you're not undone. You've been healed. You've been set free. This is the voice of love. And Christian mission is driven by the fact of God's love has spoken to us in our needs, but the fact that we've been loved. And this love is spoken first to Isaiah himself and then through Isaiah to the rest of the world. Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And what I love about this is the way Isaiah responds. I don't know if God is nudging Isaiah or making a subtle hint or what, but Isaiah's response is, is great. What about me? Why don't I go? Maybe I could do it. And look at that contrast. The last thing we heard from Isaiah was, Woe to me, I am undone, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Basically, what he's saying is, let me just end it all now. And now he's saying, what about me? Pick me. I can go. What happened? What happened was that God spoke love to him. And now Isaiah is going to speak love to everyone else. And this is the heart of Christian mission. It drives by the Father, Father's voice of love for us, that first of all comes to us and then speaks through us. And you see it again with Jesus and in his relationship with his disciples. Think about Jesus' life. He's crucified and he's raised from the dead. And Peter denies him before all this even happens. And Peter feels horrible. Woe is me. I am done. I am unclean. And Jesus comes to find Peter. And he sits down with him. And he makes him breakfast. And do you know what he asks him? Do you know what Jesus asks Peter? Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, take up your calling again. And feed my sheep. This is the whole interaction of love and calling. Calling as an answer of a call of love. Peter was loved by Jesus. Peter loved Jesus in return. Peter, was na Peter no, now goes on the vocational of love in the world. And this is it. The calling on our lives to see our communities transformed. To see lives changed. To see the light of Jesus come, it all begins with a captivating vision of God's glory. It carries with it broken by the crisis of need. But ultimately, it's about being compelled by the voice of love that comes to you, that comes to you, and then through you, 
so we bring restoration to the brokenness that exists in our relationship with God, in our relationship with ourselves, in our relationship with each other, and in our relationship with creation. And how does this happen? It happens as we remember the enthralling vision of glory, that we believe that Jesus, the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the most beautiful thing that ever is. It happens as we remember that all the yearnings that our families and friends and neighbors have, that we ourselves have, and the fullness that we seek, all the righteousness that we long for, that all those things are found in him. It's going to mean being broken by the crisis of need. It's easy to have a strong vision of the glory of God and become self-righteous in the process. And the way mission doesn't become self-righteous is because it emerges out of brokenness, a crisis that we and our neighbors, that we and those who live around us, that we and those we share the world, the world with are the same. That we are unclean. That we live in a city that is unclean. That we live among that are unclean. And we all need Jesus to heal us and cleanse us. And it's going to mean living by the answer of love. We have to live by that. Because all mission is about love. Love that God speaks to us is Jesus. And a love that we speak to other people. Through our own mouths. Through our own places of shame and vulnerability. With our work. With our lives. Such that we naturally and supernaturally live out the call God has put on each of our lives. And live out that call that God has put on each of our lives. Why don't you stand?